The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Open your Bibles or turn your apps on to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 is where we find ourselves in God's Word. We began a series last week on Daniel, and uh, if you missed that, you can go back and listen online. Don't do it while you're driving. I don't want to be responsible for your death. Uh, two things. First of all, I echo what Shannon did in the video announcements. Thank you. We have missionaries on the ground in the Middle East. We're providing for Syrian refugees. Uh, almost all of that need was met spontaneously by you last week, so we thank you for your generosity. And uh, secondly, uh, Sunday morning, uh, we have a great opportunity to uh, work with some of our kiddos. For some of you, next hour, uh, there are young people who uh, need someone to share God's word with them. So we invite you to look at that and respond accordingly. Also, back in the summertime, there were bad, fi- bad fires in California. We took a special offering for folks there. Uh, we heard back from the church that we sent that money to. They are so grateful for what happened. They were able to help a couple of their folks get into homes, uh, able to purchase a car, used car, for uh, one of the ladies, single mom in their church. And so it's with much appreciation that they send back their thanks to TBC. So thank you for your generosity over the past years. Daniel chapter 2, there are 49 verses in this chapter, so I've got two options. One, I can read the whole chapter and say, bless you and send you home, or I can walk you through it and just explain some of the verses to you as we're doing it. So we're going to choose the latter option and walk you through those verses. Daniel chapter 2, if you want to read ahead, uh, next week, actually, Celestin, my dear friend from Rwanda, will be with us. I'll be at the men's conference, and uh, then after that, we'll pick up Daniel for all the way up until Easter. We'll take a break Easter Sunday. And then we'll wrap Daniel up sometime in the month of May. So that's where we'll be for the next few months. A dream that became a nightmare. Let's pray one more time. Father, we have worshipped in song. We've worshipped at the Lord's table, your table. And now we pray that you would teach us the word. Spirit of God, you tell us that you guide us into all truth. And so we pray that you would guide us into truth this hour. In Christ's name, amen. You know, just at the outset, uh, there are different kind of messages that you're called on to preach. When you do expository preaching, you preach through God's Word. Some of them are highly applicational. This is a message about building your faith. And so my prayer is that the outcome of this service, when you walk out today, your faith and who God is will be bolstered and built up when you see what the Word teaches us. One author writes, Nebuchadnezzar made a poor choice. He took the cares of the day to bed with him at night, and they haunted him the entire time. Nebuchadnezzar took the cares of the day to bed with him at night, and if you look at verse 1, he woke up and he couldn't go back to sleep, and so the king had insomnia. How many of you suffer from insomnia? I want to see your hands out there. You just different sleep, but sleep eludes you. So you know what that's like. You you know what it's like to struggle with what the king struggled with. A doctor, a patient told the doctor, said, listen, if you, or the doctor told the patient, listen, if you ever expect to cure your insomnia, you have to stop taking your troubles to bed with you. And the lady said, I know, but I can't. My husband refuses to sleep in the other room. <laughs> insomnia. I mean, if you have an insomnia, maybe you look like this. Uh, and I haven't slept well. Why do you ask right now? And uh, maybe it's coffee that gives you insomnia. I ran across this. No more coffee before bed. And... Uh, I found that is true in my life. I had a lady come up to me, it's been a number of years ago now, and she said, Pastor Gary, uh, you've got the gift of healing. And I thought, that's a rather odd statement. And she said, I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I had insomnia all week. When you begin to preach, I was healed right there. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was haunted by a dream. When the king is haunted, it's not good for anybody around him. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. 
And so it's a passage about mysteries that are being revealed, mysteries that are being revealed. Shakespeare wrote these words, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And Nebuchadnezzar had an uneasy night. I mean, it was a difficult night for him. If you look at chapter one, verse one, it's the second year in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's been there two years. Nebuchadnezzar came to the throne, same time Daniel and his friends were exiled from uh, southern kingdom of Israel to Babylon. That's what we studied last week. And so uh, it's the second year. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled. The Hebrew word for trouble there is agitated. It's like the agitator in your washing machine. I mean, he's gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He's troubled and sleep has left him. And so the king has had a dream. He's actually had a nightmare. He wakes up, he can't go back to sleep. Maybe you've been there before. You have a dream that's so vivid. Have you had one of those? A dream is so vivid. When you have that dream, you wake up, it's like it was reality and you can't go back to sleep. I mean, you focus on a single blade in the ceiling fan and you count it as it goes round and round and round or you start counting sheep or you start talking to the shepherd of the sheep and you toss and you turn and you can't go to sleep. I mean, you look at the clock and you think you've been lying there for another hour and you turn back to look at the clock and six minutes have gone by. Can you relate to that? I I mean, that's Nebuchadnezzar right now. Nebuchadnezzar's in that situation. I mean, you know what it's like. You can't sleep. You try and find a cool place in the covers and and, uh, then maybe it gets a little too warm and you find another cool place in the covers and and you go back. Yesterday we were doing uh, in a meeting with uh, several men and a couple of our ladies and the men at one end of the table were talking about our wives being menopausal and uh, Quite interesting. We talked because I was looking at this passage. We're talking about insomnia and sleep. And uh, Bev is tiny, as you know. I mean, she's a little bitty thing, and I'm a big old boy. And I've always been wired hot, and uh, she's always been cold natured. And now it's all flipped. If you walk in my house at night, uh, she says it's like sleeping with a homeless man. I've got a beanie on my head. I've got covers. The ceiling fan is gone. The window is open, and it's freezing in our bedroom because she is in that state of. She says it's her inner child playing with matches is what she says. So I don't know what all that means. But Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep. I mean, I don't know how I got off on that. That's not my notes. Uh, And if you tell Bev any of that, you're all in trouble, every 1,000 of you. Okay, That's not coming out next hour when she's here. Uh, It's that kind of night for Nebuchadnezzar. I I mean, he's tired. He's agitated. He wakes up resembling one of the seven dwarfs. Which dwarf was that? Grumpy, you're right. I mean, he, he wakes up in a grumpy, foul mood. He's distressed. If you look at verse 3, he said, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious. It means troubled and distressed. And so whatever this dream is, Nebuchadnezzar is in distress. He's troubled by it. So he does what any king can do who controls an empire. In verse 2, he calls together the best and brightest of his kingdom. He calls together PhDs from Babylon U. He calls MDs from the Palace School of Medicine. He calls his wizards from BTS. That's Babylon Theological Seminary. I mean, he's got them all. He brings them all in, his magicians, his conjurers, his sorcerers, the Chaldeans, all these folks that are mystics. And he says, I need some help. I had this awful dream last night and, and I need to know what this dream means. And so uh, they walk in to the king and you've got an agitated king and they do what you should do whenever you walk into the presence of an educated king. If you look at verse four, it says the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. By the way, Aramaic was a street language of that day. Hebrew was a more educated language. The rest of the book of uh, Daniel is written in Aramaic. So there are two places in the script, three places in the Old Testament where Aramaic is the language of the Bible. Otherwise it's Hebrew in the Old Testament. So they walk into his presence and what do you do if you've got a grumpy, agitated king who has a bad dream? You flatter him. They say, oh, king, live forever. 
And, and so they walk in the presence of the king and said, hey, you're a good guy. We want you to stick around for a long time. So tell us your dream. Tell us what it is so we can declare to you the interpretation. Well, you remember he's grumpy. And not only that, he obviously doesn't trust these guys. And so he says, no, 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 no. That's not the way this game is going to work this time. What's going to happen this time is you're going to tell me what the dream is. And then you're going to interpret the dream for me. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You're going to have to tell me what that dream is, and then you'll interpret it for me. And and so he tells him that in verse 5. In fact, he says, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you die. If you look at the end of verse 5, he says, you will be torn limb to limb, and your houses will be made into a heap of rubbish. And so he says, here are the rules of the game this time. I had a dream. It's troubled me. I can't sleep, and I know it's got to be something that I need to know about. And so I want you to tell me what the dream was, and I want you to interpret it for me. And uh, he says, if you declare the dream in verse 6 and interpret it, you win the lottery. So here, here, here are the two options. Number one, you tell me what the dream is, and you interpret it for me, and you get a lot of stuff in my kingdom. Uh, but if you don't do it, verse five, uh, I'm going to tear you from limb to limb. That's what's going to happen. And they look at the king. I mean, if you were one of these guys, what would you do? I, I mean, these guys listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says, and they're thinking he's crazy. I mean, it's impossible. And nobody knows what the, how can you interpret a dream when you don't even know what the dream is? And, and so these guys look at him, and if, I mean, he, he's received this dream, And they look at him in verse 7, and they said, uh, King, please tell us your dream, and we'll declare the interpretation. The king said in verse 8, I I know you're bargaining for time. You're stalling. You're stalling. And uh, I'm not going to tell you. And so they respond to him in verse 10 and said, There's not a man on earth who can declare this matter to the king, and as much as no great king, no rulers ever ask anything like this of any of us. Moreover, it's so difficult what you demand from us. No one who could declare it to the king, except no one can declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. They said, we, King, we, we've got a problem. Only God, a God, can resolve this issue. Little did these pagan conjurers and magicians and mystics know they were setting the table for the true God. Little did they know that. They stand in front of this pagan king and say, hey, only a God can do that. Only God can pull us off. Only one of the gods can tell somebody what a dream is and interpret it when you're not going to tell us what it is. So that's the setting. Nebuchadnezzar has received the dream. He says, if you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you die. If you tell me both, then you win the lottery. Try and picture that scene in your mind. I mean, their knees are knocking, their faces are turning pale, their hearts are pounding, they're scheming how to flee. They know it's impossible. I mean, nobody has been asked to do that and nobody can do it. And they rightfully say, only God can do this. Only a God can pull this off. So that's the setting, that's the scenario. The dream is received by Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to see what happens next. They've set the table. Nebuchadnezzar says uh, in verses 12 and 13, uh, my paraphrase, round them up and kill them. Round them up and kill them, including the end of verse 13, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Round all these guys up because they can't do what I ask them to do. They can't tell me what the dream is, and so they can't interpret the dream, so kill them all. Tear them limb to limb, turn their houses into rubbish. They can't do what we ask them to do. Well, Daniel is not with these wise men who are called into the palace. Perhaps it's because he separated himself from these pagan men because he's found the true God. We're not sure why. 
but Daniel is not there. So uh, Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, goes looking for Daniel. He finds Daniel and says, Daniel, uh, I've got bad news for you. You're going to die. The king had a dream. It was a nightmare to him. He wants to know what the dream is. Nobody can tell him what the dream is, and so nobody can interpret the dream. You're one of the wise men. You and your posse, you all die. That's a pretty bad day, wouldn't you say? I'm reading a commentary right now by a guy named Brian Chappell. Chappell is the former president of Covenant Seminary. He's now a pastor in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, his book is called The Gospel According to Daniel, and it's really well done. And in that particular book, he calls this section when the bottom drops out. You ever have a day like that? I mean, the bottom just drops out on you. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. When, 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 when you get the news that day, you're thinking it can't get worse. I shared a story with you three years ago that somebody had sent to me. It's about uh, some guys who had a day when the bottom dropped out. There are two friends. One of them had just bought a brand new Lincoln Navigator, and uh, he and his friend decided to go duck hunting in Upper Michigan. It was midwinter. All the lakes are frozen, so they put in the new Navigator their guns, a dog, uh, the Navigator, and a stick of dynamite. They're going to go duck hunting. So the plan is they're going to go out on this frozen pond. They're going to drive out a ways, and then they're going to go and blast a hole in the lake, put their decoys out, and wait for the ducks to come and then hunt. They decide to, uh, what they do when they get there is uh, they take the stick of dynamite, and they realize they haven't brought anything to launch it with. And so they go out on the, they park the navigator partially onto the frozen lake. They go out on it for a ways, and then they take the stick of dynamite. They walk away from the navigator. They light it, and then they throw it. So remember, they came with their guns, they came with their car, they came with a stick of dynamite, and they came with a dog. The dog was a black lab retriever. (laughs) You see where this has gone, don't you? So they throw the stick of dynamite, and uh, the dog sees the dynamite being thrown from his master's hand. He's a highly trained retriever, I read it. He takes off across the ice at a high rate of speed, grabs a stick of dynamite. The two men are screaming and hollering and waving their arms. Of course, the dog thinks they're calling for him to come. So the dog begins to run back to the two men. He's apparently being cheered on by his master, so he runs even quicker. One of the hunter panics, not the master, but the other guy, grabs his shotgun, is loaded with number eight birdshot, hardly enough to stop a black lab. He shoots at the dog. The dog is now thoroughly confused. I mean, now they're shooting at the dog. He doesn't know what to do, so he hightails it for cover right under the navigator with the stick of dynamite still in his mouth. The other guy, the two guys start running for the shore. When uh, the dog gets under the navigator, his rear end touches the uh, tailpipe and he lets out a yelp and drops the dynamite under the car and takes off after his master. He's almost to his master's when all of a sudden they hear kaboom. And they watch the brand new navigator, $52,500 worth of navigator begin to sink. And now I read it. Truck is blown to bits, sinks to the bottom of the lake. The insurance company says that sinking a vehicle in a lake by legal use of explosive is not covered by their policy. (laughs) And you thought rednecks only live in the South. (laughs) That's when the bottom drops out, literally. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, that's a bad day right there. That's a bad day. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you had that phone call or spouse look across from you and say, hey, never loved you, never did. Some of you uh, have had that daughter sit down at your bed and say, hey, mom and dad need to talk to you. I'm with child. 
or maybe the boss has called you in and said, hey, there's some cutbacks and uh, things are slow and you've got to go. Or, or maybe you started using again when you've been clean for a long time and it's a bad day, the bottom drops out. Or maybe your spouse goes to your computer and things pop up on that computer you thought you had hidden really well and the bottom drops out. Or maybe you haven't been in the Word for weeks and you really don't care. And then something happens and the bottom drops out. It's a bad day for Daniel. Hey, the king wants you and your friend's dead. He had a dream. And unless you can tell him the dream and interpret the dream for him, you and your posse and all of us die. Now, Daniel is somewhere. If you were with us last week, we saw Daniel and his compadres were taken to exile. And the scriptures say in chapter one, they were young men. And so we don't know the exact age. The scriptures don't tell us that, but probably somewhere between the ages of 14 to 18, somewhere in that range. Maybe a little older, but perhaps not. Two years have gone by. So let's say Daniel was 16 when he got taken to exile. Now he's 18. He's still a teenager at the upper end of that. Maybe he's 20 and now he's 22. He's still a very young man. And so what do you do when you find out the bottom's dropping out? What do you do when you find out, hey, if, if we don't do this and something's going to happen, do you begin to scheme and plan? You know what Daniel does? Daniel calls a prayer meeting. Daniel calls a prayer meeting. He turns to prayer. If you look at your scripture, if you look in the scriptures with me, it says in verse 18, or beginning in 17, Daniel went to his house and formed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, those are the new names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven. He called a prayer meeting with three other teenage guys. He says, guys, our necks are in the noose. We've got a problem here. We have to turn to the only place where we can turn to resolve this, and that's to God. Not our wisdom, not our position, not our power, not the place we now have in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, but we have to call upon God. One of the authors I read said, for Daniel, prayer was not the last resort. It was the first thought. When the bottom drops out, where do you turn? Where do you run to? S.G. Gordon says this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. So you get news, it's a terrible trial, it's a difficult day, what do you do? Where do you run to? Who do you turn to? Do you try and outwit it, outsmart it? Outbuy it, outspend it, try and resolve it yourself, turn to counsel of others, or do you turn to the living God? Do you turn to the one who can answer prayer, the one who can resolve the problem? So that's what Daniel did. Here's a young teenager who says, Hey, boys, we got to pray. And so he calls his posse together and they pray. His intention was to pray. Now, I want to ask you something what kind of intensity do you think these guys prayed with? I mean, when, they came, when these four young guys came together, do you, do you think they were kind of dozing off? You ever pray that way? You know, you begin to pray and all of a sudden, I mean, you begin to nod off and, or, or you begin to pray and your mind gets so distracted. I mean, you're praying and the next minute you're cooking a pot roast. I, I mean, you've been there. You're praying and the next minute you're solving problems at work. Uh, do, do you think these guys were praying with a little intensity and a little focus at this time? They know they're going to die unless they get an answer. 
There was a uh, priest, a preacher, and a guru who argued about the best position to pray in. There was a telephone repairman who was working nearby overhearing their conversation. The priest said, kneeling is definitely the best way to pray. Preacher said, no, I get the best results standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. The guru said, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying down on the floor. The telephone repair guy couldn't contain himself any longer. He said, hey, fellas, I know I'm not a man of the cloth like y'all, but the best praying I ever did was when I was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. (laughs) These guys are hanging upside down by a telephone pole. They don't get the dream and the answer to that dream, and they die. And I guarantee you, they're praying with intensity. And if you look at what's happening here, it's quite amazing. It says, in order that they might request compassion concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men, then, if you write in your Bibles, underline verse 9, then the mystery was revealed. God spoke. God answered prayer. They cried out to the God of heaven, and the God of heaven answered them. They called out, and God heard them, and God answered. You know, when we turn to God, sometimes we may not like the answer he gives us, but God answers prayer. I love hearing stories about answered prayer. One of our ladies yesterday was riding her bike with her granddaughters, Robin Neary, one of our dear friends, usually sits right here this hour, and uh, she had some type of collision. She fell, hit her head. Uh, bad concussion. I get a call from Brian, her husband, and said, would you pray? She's got a brain bleed, and we're praying that uh, she's okay, won't have to have surgery. And so this morning I get a text back from, we prayed on the phone. Uh, many of you were mobilized in prayer. And so uh, I get a text from Brian. I said, let me know in the morning. I kept my phone on that night. If she has to have surgery, then we'll run up there. And the text this morning is she had a great night. Things are going better, etc. God answers prayer. Had a dear friend come to me recently and said, hey, for, this is before the holidays. We're going home for the holidays. Uh, my father is uh, dying uh, it's so hard for me to talk about faith matters with my dad because of who he is. And would you just pray that I have boldness now? I, I need to know about my dad's salvation. And so the text I get uh, right after Christmas is, shared Christ with my dad, clear testimony, praise God. Don't you love answer prayer? Don't, don't make it your last resort, make it your first thought told you a story before about a lady who received a call at work that her daughter was uh, very ill and she uh, needed to stop at a pharmacy on the way home. Her husband called her, said, you stop at the, come home from work, stop at the pharmacy, pick up the medicine, and um, we need it immediately. So she ran out of work, went to the pharmacy. When she got back to her car uh, with the prescription, she realized she had locked her keys in the car. She was distraught. She began looking around the parking lot, found a rusty hanger, And uh, she worked on it for a couple of minutes, and she bowed her head and said, God, I don't know how to do this. I need help. I need help now. Just as she opened her eyes, this bearded man with a do-rag on top of his head, tatted up everywhere, drove up in an old beat-up car and said, "Uh, Ma'am, can I help you? And she thought to herself, God, is this the answer to my prayer? (laughs) And uh, she said, Yes, my keys are locked in the car. Uh, I've got to get home. I've got this medicine for my daughter. I found this hanger. Can you use it? And he said, "Uh, Sure. A matter of seconds, he popped it open like it was nothing. And she said, thank you, thank you so much. You're a very nice man. And he said, well, I appreciate that. I just got out of prison for auto theft. <laughs> she hugged the guy and she screamed out to heaven, dear God, thank you for sending me a professional. <laughs> <clears throat> Answered prayer comes in all forms and sizes, doesn't it? But don't miss what happens here. 
Daniel's neck is in the noose, and the first thing he does is he comes to God. He says, God, only you can do this. God, only you can help me. So scriptures say, God revealed this to Daniel. Now, if you knew that your neck was in the noose and you were going to die unless you got back to the king and told him what his dream was and interpret that dream for him, what's the first thing you would do? I don't know about you, but I'm headed to the palace. You know what Daniel does? He stops to give God praise. In fact, the next four verses I call a psalm of Daniel. A psalm of Daniel. Look at these words. I mean, it reveals to you the depth of Daniel's knowledge of the true God. Beginning in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to you. It is you who changes the times and the seasons. It's you who removes kings and establishes kings. It's you who gives wisdom to wise men. It's you who gives knowledge to men of understanding. It's you who reveals profound and hidden things. Would you say Daniel knew his God And so rather than running to the palace and talking to a king, he stops and he gives praises to the king. Don't miss that. Sometimes God answers our prayer and we go on with life and we don't give him praise and we don't give honor and we don't give him glory. And Daniel says, you are the God who's done this. You are the God who controls rulers. You're the God who controls kingdoms. You're the God who does it all. I praise you. And then he hightails it to the palace. But he stops to give praise to God who's answered his prayer. So what was this? By the way, in that prayer, there's a sevenfold ascription of praise and reveals the depth of Daniel's understanding and confidence in God's sovereign rule. By the way, some of you have teenagers, some of you are teenagers. Never underestimate what a teenager can understand and how they can respond to the living God. We don't dummy stuff down at TBC for our teenagers. You walk back there right now, Dave Tate is teaching our high school students and things are not dummied down for them. Tim Cartwright, our junior high students, because they can comprehend and understand the ways of the living God. And we praise God for the young people he's given us. And we're going to make sure that they see truth, hear truth, understand truth, and live in a missional, with a missional purpose. And they do that back there. So the dream is revealed to Daniel. Well, don't you want to know what that dream is? Don't you want to know what the interpretation of that dream is? Well, it, it's found in the scriptures for us. The dream is interpreted by Daniel. I, I mean, it's quite an interesting dream. It begins in, in, in verse 24, actually, when Daniel says, uh, hey, don't forget the other guys. Daniel's headed to the palace, but he turns to the commander and he says, don't destroy the wise men of Israel. Daniel could be, uh, you know, prating around like a peacock. He could be strutting his stuff. He could be poking out his chest. But he says, don't forget about the other guys. He was concerned about other men. That's what our Savior was like too. By the way, uh, on the cross, you remember he looks down and says, Father, forgive me, no, not what they do. He was concerned about other people, even those that were killing him. And so Daniel comes into Nebuchadnezzar's throne room and he does an interesting thing. He does an interesting thing. Rather than revealing the dream to the king as soon as he walks in, he says, I need to tell you about my king. That's what Daniel does. The boldness of Daniel. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I, 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 I know what your dream is and I know what it means, but before I do that, I've got to tell you about somebody else. Look at what Daniel does, beginning in verse 27. He says, it's for the mystery about which the king has inquired and your wise men and your conjurers and your magicians and diviners couldn't answer. However... There is a God, if you're writing your Bible, circle verse 28, underline this, Daniel says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You remember when these guys were in the presence of the king earlier and he said, hey, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to have to tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation of the dream. And their response was, we can't do that. Only who can do it? Only gods can do that. 
And so Daniel comes in and says, hey, uh, he doesn't say, let me remind you what those guys said, but he says, hey, these guys couldn't do it, but I want you to know there's a God who can do it. And so Daniel stands in the presence of the king and he says, before I tell you what's happening, I gotta tell you about my God. What about us? When God gives us victory, successes, when God blesses us, do we stand before people and say, let me tell you about my God? Or do we say, let me tell you about me? Let me tell you about what I've achieved. Let me tell you about what I've done. Let me tell you about my bank account. Let me tell you about my degrees. Let me tell you about my success. Let me tell you, or do we say, it's my God who has done all of this? I mean, this is a young man. Look at what he says in verse 30. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purpose of making this known to the king, Daniel says, it's not about me, it's about my God. He makes it all about his God, not about him. And when I look at that, I see an example for each of us as God gives us victories in life. So he says, here's the dream, O king, verse 31. You were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. The statue was large and the statue was extraordinary splendor. It was standing in front of you. Its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of gold. Its breast and its arms of silver, its belly, its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you continued looking at it and a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet and of iron and clay and crushed the feet. And then the iron, the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time. And they became like chaff on the threshing floor and the wind carried all these things away. And the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, if that had been your dream, you probably couldn't have slept either. I mean, he dreamed about this big old statue with a head of gold and, and then silver and then bronze and then feet. And all of a sudden the stone comes and crushes it all. I mean, no wonder poor Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1 couldn't sleep anymore. But here's the million-dollar question. What does that mean? And God has revealed to Daniel something absolutely amazing. What Daniel does next is he gives Nebuchadnezzar and to us a sweep of history that will go on for the next several centuries. He's going to talk about kingdoms. He's going to talk about different kingdoms. Now, to Daniel, all these kingdoms were future. To us, we look back and they're all past. And so we can see when Daniel prophesied these words that he had no idea what the names of these nations were and what was going to happen. But we look back and see exactly what Daniel prophesied through God and the interpretation God gave him historically has taken place. And if God kept his word in the past, he keeps his word today and he'll keep his word forever. So let's look at what that word was. So Daniel begins to speak. Look at the end of verse uh, 38. You are the head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are the head of gold. And after you, verse 39, there will arise another kingdom. Now it would take guts to look at a king, the most powerful man in the, in the world at that day, and say, by the way, your kingdom is going to go away. An inferior kingdom is going to come up after you. Basically, you're going to lose your kingdom. It's going to, go, it's going to be gone. And what we know historically is that the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and the Persians. They joined hands together and they began to fight against the Babylonians. They conquered the Babylonians and a second Gentile kingdom arose. So this is looking at the Gentile nations, if you will. 
So we know historically Babylon came. He says specifically Babylon is the head of Gaul. We know that there was a kingdom that conquered the uh, Babylonians, the Medes, and Persians. Well, after many centuries, we find that there was a Greek empire. By the way, if you want to associate a king with the Medes and Persians, you might associate Cyrus the Great. Then, then there arose another kingdom. Well, who defeated the Medes and the Persians? If you look at history, they were defeated by the Greeks. The greatest Greek king was a guy named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great in his early 30s had conquered the world. In fact, there's a day when he wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. Well, the Greek empire doesn't exist today. In fact, the nation of Greece barely is afloat right now. And so who conquered the Greeks? Well, after that came the Caesars and the Romans. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time in Daniel chapter 7 talking about what the feet of clay are all about. We're going to talk about that. it's not even talked about that much here other than they're destroyed. And so the next question is, well, who's a stone? Who or what what kingdom is a stone? Because if you look at the end of verse uh, 35, it says the stone struck the statue and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So what is that stone? Not only that, drop down to verse uh, 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. So whatever kingdom the stone is, is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. That kingdom will crush and put an end to all other kingdoms. It will endure forever. So what is the kingdom that God will put in place that will never be destroyed, that will last forever? And as much so as you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountains without hands, it's a kingdom not made by man, but a kingdom made of God. So what is the kingdom that God will put in place that will last forever made without hands? Well, there's only one kingdom that fits that description. It's the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of God. That's the only kingdom. So the fifth kingdom is a kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that's going to last forever. So still doesn't answer the question, who's the stone or what's the stone? So we go back and we look at the scriptures. In Psalm 118, David is writing. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. So David writing in Psalm 118 says, uh, there's a stone. It's a stone that's going to be rejected by the builders and become the chief cornerstone. That's all we know. It's a prophecy given way back in the time of David. Like I said, Daniel, it's David. So then we fast forward to Pentecost, the day the church is born. Peter is the guy who preaches on that day. In Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 4, guess what Peter says? Jesus is the stone you builders rejected that's become the cornerstone. So who is the stone of Daniel chapter 2? Well, Peter tells us who it is. It's the stone rejected by the builders. Jesus is that stone. In fact, later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing and he says to those who believe the stone is precious, to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so what we see here is that Jesus is the stone. He comes in, he wipes out all other kingdoms. He reigns forever. The kingdom, the fifth kingdom is the kingdom of God and the stone is Jesus himself. And just as all those other empires came and went, likewise, this kingdom will come. It will always be here. God kept his word in the past. He's keeping his word today. He'll keep his word tomorrow. Amen? I mean, we can see historically what he's done. And now we can look prophetically at what's going to happen. 
And we can say, if he did what he said he was a good in the past, we know he's going to do what he's going to say in the future. And so if you're here today as one who doubts God, if you're a seeker here today wondering if God is really who he claimed to be, just look at this pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, because look at what he does in verse 48. The king promoted, I'm sorry, verse 47, surely your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel's God was able to give Daniel the dream itself and interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is God, your God is king. He's right. So if you're here today as a doubter or a skeptic, all I can tell you is this pagan king who is the Lord of the universe, who is also considered a God, looked at what the God did, and he said, your God trumps me and everybody else. He's God. And I shout out glory. Hallelujah. So what we see here is Jesus is the king. When Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist's message was, repent, the kingdom has come. Luke 17, 21 or 24, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. He says, the kingdom, referring to himself, is now among you. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came. We're receiving blessings now, but ultimately the kingdom will be consummated when Christ comes back to rule and reign in the millennial time. Right now, we the church are his army. Right now, we're the ones carrying out. We're the ones blessed by him. John Piper puts it this way. He says, is the kingdom of God a future reality to be hoped for? I mean, is the kingdom only the millennial kingdom in the future, or are we receiving something now? And he says, the answer is it's partly present now, partly future. Many of the blessings we enjoy now, but many of them are not yet here. Some of its power is available now, but not all of it. Some of the curse and misery of this old age can be overcome now, but the, by the presence of the kingdom. But the kingdom would be Christ inaugurating that when he came, when he died, was resurrected, left his church here to fulfill everything he said he would. He's building upon his church right now. The decisive battle against sin, Satan, sickness, death has been fought and won by the king in his death and resurrection, but the war is not over. We're still in a battle. The king reigns, this is his kingdom, but it's not going to be consummated until he comes back. So sin must be fought against, Satan must be resisted, sin, sickness must be prayed over, death must be endured until the second coming of the king and his consummation of his kingdom. So God says these things have happened, the crushing rock is Jesus, his kingdom has started, it'll consummate when he returns. What we see here, God is honored by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's promoted, if you look at the rest of it, he's promoted to a position over all the other wise men within the kingdom. The kingdoms of men will fade away and be forgotten. The kingdom of God will endure forever. Worship team, would you guys join me up here? The kingdoms of men fade away and they're forgotten. But the kingdom of God will last forever. As I wrote those words on my computer, typed it on my computer, there were some songs that came to my mind. One of them is an old song by the Gaithers. We're not going to sing that one today, so be relieved. But you know the words of that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. And then the next words, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about his name. And there's a song we used to sing, a praise song, and it was princes and paupers, sons and daughters kneel at the throne of grace, losers and winners, saints and sinners, one day we'll see his face, and we'll all bow down. Kings will surrender their crowns and worship Jesus.
For he is the love, the unfailing love of God. We'll worship our Savior together in heaven. If that bring tears to your eyes, knowing that he kept his word in his past and he'll keep it in the future. He's a great God, as Daniel says, who knows the times and the seasons and controls the kings and the kingdoms. And so we worship him. There's another song, and we are going to sing this one. Found in your present hands, fullness of joy. Every fear suddenly wiped away here in your presence. All of my gains now fade away. Every crown no longer in display. Heaven is trembling in awe of your wonder. Kings and their kingdoms are standing amazed here in your presence. That's our king. That's our God. I trust you know Jesus. If you've stepped away from a season, he opens his arms as a king and says, come back home. Because one day, he returns. And when he does, his kingdom will last forever.